The Blockhash Podcast is also brought to you by Viva Digital. Viva Digital has a team of experts that can solve the technological problems of your computer. They also offer the best advice to carry out those computer projects that you have planned. They are located in beautiful Medellin, Colombia in Monterey Mall. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at vivadigital.com.co and don't miss any promotion. All of the awesome audio soundtracks and beats on the Blockhouse podcast are brought to you by my good friend Tiger with It's Tiger Music. Go check out It's Tiger on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. What's up, guys? I am live again from Medellin, Colombia. Um, I think I'm going to do this more often anyways. I'm trying to get more guests on that. Um, well, the issue here really is that everyone's kind of busy and dealing with their own problems because of the pandemic. So I got to space things out a little bit more, give everybody more time. So I think I'm going to do these in between um, bi-weekly. So kind of give you guys like an update on what's going on in crypto, what's going on in the industry from you know my perspective and what I've been seeing. And you know, covering some of the news sources that are coming out. And there's a lot of crazy things going on uh, just this summer alone in crypto. And a lot of important things that happened in the past week that I think are, you know, worthy of talking about that are very noteworthy. So I want to dive into that stuff a bit more and kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, So one of the, you know, biggest news stories that I think we've seen in crypto in a long time and I think is probably one of the most important changes is the fact that the essentially the Treasury, the OCC Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, um, just last week gave all U.S. banks the green light to provide crypto custody. Um, so essentially they'll be able to hold private keys for their clients. They'll be able to hold uh, digital assets and they'll be able to offer different products and services uh, to their clients in this fashion. And with all the issues that a lot of crypto businesses have had over the years, trying to get uh, banking services and liquidity, um, you know, it's been very difficult. And it's been hard to grow this space and create innovation when you don't have access to uh, the banking system. Same issues, you know, that the marijuana industry has had for, for years at this point. Federally, it's just not not legal. So we've had a lot of federal um, lack of regulation, I guess, from the federal government on what to do with crypto. And that has kind of left the banks in the middle. And I think at this point, finally, it looks like you know, the banks will be able to get more involved. We'll be able to bring in a third party or do it in-house, learn how to um, integrate with blockchain, how to offer services on blockchain, um, allow the average person to more easily buy crypto, buy Bitcoin and and hold it. Um, now, whether or not you want to do that with your bank is totally up to you. I don't think I would do that, but, you know, for the average Joe out there, it's a fairly viable option and it will, you know, it'll push the economy to accept Bitcoin and other crypto currencies and digital assets as we go along. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of success with that, with 
companies like BitPay, companies like um, Square's Cash App, um, where they've done millions and millions of dollars um, in revenue uh, through you know offering the ability to buy Bitcoin through the Cash App and then making it very easy to spend that too without having to go through a big bank. So, I mean, the tech companies have kind of been on top of this for a while and the banks were kind of lagging behind. And this, you know, finally gives the banks, the big banks, a chance to compete with the tech companies that have really taken this space to a different level. Um, so I think we're going to see some pretty crazy competition. But anyways, this news story is a huge milestone that will drive banking capital into crypto. You know, banks are going to need to diversify their asset base. We're, we're going through recession right now, a pretty big economic downturn because of the virus. And, you know, the dollar is losing a lot of value. And what we're going to, I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes as well. So the banking system, all the banks, they're going to need to diversify their asset base and crypto is one way that they can do that. And I think they're, I think they realize that. I believe a, you know, former executive for Coinbase is the head of the OCC now. And I think that's part of the reason why this got rolled out. So um, we will likely see this get pushed and we'll likely see more developments like this as, you know, the economy begins to struggle, as banks begin to struggle. And, you know, there's this forced liquidity by the government and the Fed into the U.S. economy. Um, you know, one of the best parts about this is the fact that, you know, crypto is essentially being legitimized faster um, because of this, even faster than the marijuana industry, which is kind of funny in a lot of ways, uh, because marijuana, I, I really don't see the, the issue with it. I mean, it's been proven to have a lot of benefits and that it's kind of a stupid thing to put in the same classification as even cocaine. <laughs> so um, it's kind of funny that crypto is getting the nod before even marijuana is getting a federal nod. But I mean, that's the reality. That's how fast it's moving. And just and look back at how fast the marijuana industry has been able to move. So that tells you how fast crypto is moving and where it's likely to go at this point. Um, but, you know, this will take time. It'll take time for the banks to, you know, because they got to face this learning curve and there will be, you know, really stiff competition between all the other tech companies that are ahead of them and all the other banks that want to jump on this as well. And, you know, frankly, most banks don't have the expertise or the knowledge. There's a huge learning curve. They have to either, you know, outsource this and bring in a third party or they have to in-house develop the, the right people and the right departments to handle this. Um, because you're talking about hand, handling someone's private keys, um, you know, something that takes away from your ability to control your own crypto, control your own money, and you're relying on a bank now that has no knowledge of this industry, really, and has not, you know, really dipped its toes into it until now, giving them the ability to you know, control your Bitcoin or control your crypto, um, to me, is incredibly risky until they, you know, put out the right standards and they have the right people in place. So this will take time. It's not like we're just going to see it in August and see it in 2020, um, but you will begin to see it. And we'll, over the next year or two, you'll see a lot of services and products slowly begin to roll out as well as, you know, merchants, uh, stores being able to offer goods and services uh, in crypto, being able to use 
U.S. Bank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whatever you use to, you know, pay for your coffee or, or pay for what you buy at Target or Best Buy with, with Bitcoin or with crypto. You know, there will be those options through merchant services, most likely, um, on top of, you know, just regular custody services, banking services, investment services. So, um, you know, the, the horizon for that is um, it's long and the spectrum is broad, so they can do a lot with that. Um, it really establishes Bitcoin again and other cryptos as a legitimate asset class. You know, being able to bank with this stuff shows that it is legitimized to a degree by the government and it's going to force more regulation over, you know, how to classify it for, for tax purposes, for remittance purposes, um, for investment purposes. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to see a lot more come out and I think there will be a lot more faith that we'll see more uh, regulatory standards come out over the next couple of years, um, depending on, you know, Congress doesn't really move fast. Let's be honest, but you know, this will give them more incentive and more confidence to do so if the banks are involved with it. Um, but you know, the legitimizing of Bitcoin through the banking system is important because it's going to encourage more people to want to buy Bitcoin. It's going to encourage more people to, you know, look into it, understand it, not this, you know, time thing um, or scam or Ponzi scheme but as, you know, a legitimate asset class. Um, that narrative is really, really important. And it will also create a lot more on-ramps for Americans as well. So you won't have to just go through Coinbase or go through uh, PayPal's future platform that they're putting out or through the Cash App. You'll have more options, um, which will overall be good for the economy, the crypto economy, I guess, in America, which will continue to compete and spread globally. So it's a huge, huge milestone. And I'm really happy to see that and see that there's, you know, an innovative push um, beyond just trying to regulate the hell out of it. You know, other than that, there's a reason why Bitcoin and, and gold, if we're going to, we might as well talk about both, are doing so well right now, especially over the last you know, few days where Bitcoin finally broke through 10,000, ran past 11,000. Um, gold is at all time highs, about to hit $2,000 an ounce. You know, a huge reason for that is the U.S. dollar index is down uh, over 6% over the last three months. The U.S. dollar is really beginning to struggle. And, you know, this is driving a rally in gold and Bitcoin, which, you know, gold is traditionally considered a hedge against the U.S. dollar. And Bitcoin is also getting lumped into that class. So Bitcoin, you know, is also getting classified as something that, you know, is a strong hedge against the U.S. dollar. There's a lot of hedge funds that have come out and said that they believe the same thing. A lot of smart people um, seem to jump on that bandwagon as well, where Bitcoin is becoming more of a store of value, more of an asset than it is becoming, you know, just money, a utility or a unit of trade. So, you know, we're also going to see a lot more Fed stimulus coming you know, there's a lot of stuff on the table, Democrats, Republicans, they're all trying to create a new stimulus package that they can put out there. Um, you know, as we continue to struggle with the quarantine, the coronavirus and the economic downturn, you know, we've got elections coming up. 
Um, there's a nasty trade war that we're still going through with China that's gotten a lot worse. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of money that they're going to try and pump into the economy, a lot more liquidity. And that will also drive gold and Bitcoin prices a lot higher. It'll drive people into uh, assets with a store value and into speculative assets. Um, I don't think people are going to be quick to jump into the stock market. I think people are going to want to protect their value. So it is that's not necessarily my prediction or forecast, but it is a strong possibility that I see. And I think a lot of you might agree on that. Um, so it's a good time to, you know, consider loading up on something like gold or Bitcoin if you have a little extra cash and then just kind of stashing it away because you don't know what's going to happen with the dollar. I mean, things are getting a lot worse. Um, it's likely we're not going to see a vaccine. The whole reason the, um, you know, the stock market has been able to you know, rally a little bit since March and, and hold its, its numbers is because of the hope that there's going to be a vaccine. And I think that the, the growth in gold and Bitcoin um, can substantiate the fact that it's unlikely we're going to see a vaccine in 2020 and things have gotten a lot worse. Um, even outside of America, things have gotten a lot worse, too. Um, even where I'm at in, in Medellin, Colombia, you know, um, you know, cases are beginning to skyrocket again. That second wave is hitting, like I've told people for quite a while now. And in the U.S., cities are getting a lot worse. And it's a very persistent virus that isn't just going to disappear. And, you know, vaccine, even if we have one, the reality is a vaccine isn't going to solve the issue. You know, a virus is going to continue mutating and have multiple strains that are going to be uh, better or worse, depending on the environmental impact. And so, I mean, even if we had a vaccine, is that really going to solve anything? No, I, I really doubt that. You know, this is something we're going to have to ride out for quite a while, a few years, maybe even half a decade, who knows? Um, so I think the false hope of a vaccine, I think that's coming to light a little bit. I think that people are starting to realize that as well. And also the, the US-China trade war, um, I wanna get into that a little bit because it's getting a lot worse. Um, for example, the, the consulate in Houston was shut down because of allegations of industrial espionage. Um, and China kind of reciprocated by shutting down a US embassy in China as well. Uh, you know, the FBI is opening a new Chinese counter intel investigation every 10 hours. China is also committing economic espionage. They've been doing it for years, stealing IP, um, doing everything possible to, you know, cripple the US economy. You know, as the U.S.-China, you know, relations and trade get a lot worse and continue deteriorating, I think that's also going to continue scaring people. Um, you know, we have two, the two biggest economies in the world that highly depend on each other. They just can't come to agreement or consensus on, you know, what they both want and compromise on a trade deal. And we have a preliminary trade deal in place since January. But, you know, the reality is that's not going to hold up. The reality is, you know, both economies are struggling a little bit right now because of the virus, because of the tension, because, you know, you have the two biggest um, economies in the world going at it economically. There will be a lot of reper repercussions because of that. And I think that's also being reflected in the value of both gold and Bitcoin right now.
Um, so other than the fear mongering and telling you why you should buy Bitcoin and, and gold <laughs> um, and talking about the banks, which I think are incredibly important right now. The other thing I want to mention is it's kind of the other aspect of crypto. It's um, being able to build on crypto, uh, the platform aspect, being able to build dApps and smart contracts, what's really going to be the blood and life force of the, the blockchain space of this industry that is brand new and that's growing um, exponentially every single year. Um, you know, we're coming to a head with two major platforms that are going through major developments. Cardano with the Shelly launch and Ethereum 2.0. Um, you know, Shelly is, you know, finally launched. And we're going to see how that plays out in August. And we're getting closer and closer to Voltaire and Goguen um, developments and launches as well, which will lead to all kinds of competition in 2021. And Ethereum 2.0 has finally undergone testing and will finally be able to move Ethereum from proof of work to proof of stake. So this is just gearing up for these platforms to really clash in spectacular fashion and will stimulate you know, numerous dApps and different forms of innovation. And, you know, this is very comparable to Apple versus Microsoft, um, where you have, you know, a, a company that's pretty much dominating the market and Ethereum dominating the dot market. And then you have a competitor, a true competitor coming in that's being innovative and flipping it on its head and trying to do it in its view the right way. Um, and that's Cardano coming in and, you know, fixing these problems, uh, creating blockchain 3.0, essentially, um, you know, third generation blockchain technology, whatever you want to call it, being able to solve issues of scalability, interoperability, um, uh, you know, all the fee issues, the, the lag and bottleneck issues, um, being able to create a platform that you can have a billion people on, a platform that can sustain a trillion dollar market cap one day, something that Charles Hoskinson um, preaches religiously all the time and, you know, is pushing for Cardano to get to as a milestone and then in the distant future. And I imagine Ethereum is, has similar aspirations and ambitions. And, you know, they're going to compete heavily since they, you know, control, you know, almost the entire DAP market. They are the number one platform to go to if you want to build on blockchain. They're number two for, but Cardano is creeping up very quickly. And if they are everything they say they're going to be, if Charles Hoskinson says that they are going to be everything that he's hoping that they will be, there will be massive competition between those two. And that will be great for the space because we haven't really had competition like that in the space. Um, we've had competition in mining. We've had competition among cryptocurrencies. We haven't had competition amongst platforms that can build and sustain dApps and smart contracts um, for massive amounts of liquidity and people and companies and bandwidth. And um, it's going to be a very, very exciting time. And I think August is going to really highlight some of those developments and you're going to see a lot of growth, um, maybe even more growth in Ethereum and Cardano individually than you will see in Bitcoin. Um, it's entirely possible. 
Bitcoin's going to be fueled by the banking system having this green light being fueled by all the problems, the pandemic, the trade wars, the liquidity being pumped in by the Fed. Um, that's what's going to drive Bitcoin. The dollar index and the, the dollar collapsing in value. Bitcoin and gold will you know, go up in value strongly based on that. Um, whereas Cardano and Ethereum will feel some of that and will also, you know, gain some of the benefits from, you know, the nasty economy we're in right now, they will largely grow because of the development they're going to see. They're going to largely grow because their platforms are going to grow tremendously. Um, again, August is going to be very exciting. The rest of 2020 is going to be very exciting in terms of blockchain. Um, I know 2020 has been a crazy year and hasn't been that fun for most people. And there's a lot of people out there struggling, but if you're looking for an investment opportunity, you know, take this information, dissect it on your own, the same way I'm trying to help dissect it for you. And, you know, consider what the possibilities would be um, for these to grow. And if you invested in them, you know, what would you be able to make of it? Where are they going? Like, how is this going to shape our world? Um, it's very important to consider that stuff. And I don't think we step back and do that often enough. And I think now is a very good time to do that before a lot of people miss out on the opportunity to create lasting generational wealth. Um, that doesn't happen very often. You don't see a new technology like this come out very often. You don't see developments like this come out very often. You know, the last time something major like this happened that reshaped our planet, reshaped technology was the internet. Imagine if you got in early on the internet and invested in the right companies, invested in the right projects. And then 20, 30 years later, you'd be amazed by, you know, the generational wealth you'd be able to create for yourself and your family. So those are things to take into consideration with blockchain. It's very young. Bitcoin is just, you know, barely a decade old. Um, you know, blockchain being used as a platform to build on top of is, you know, barely six or seven years old. Um, and is starting to mature in a lot of ways for the first time. And while it, and it took the internet a long time to really mature. It takes blockchain some time to mature and it's starting to, and you don't want to miss out. So definitely dive into it and do your own research and dissect. Um, look at all this stuff. You know, I'm saying it again, the banking system being able to have this green light is going to trigger tremendous liquidity, uh, tremendous growth in this industry for the first time, because you're going to have a lot of big companies, institutions, funds that are going to feel confident in investing in this stuff. Um, the government will feel more confident putting out favorable regulations. That'll be good for the growth and innovation of the industry. So dissect that, dissect this, and, you know, really, really dive into it and narrow it down and see from your perspective what you think. But anyways, that is my spiel uh, for today and hope you guys enjoyed if you have questions um, comments or want to talk just put it in the comment section here on YouTube or you know reach out and buy email um, or go to blockhashpodcast.com submit a form you know I'm happy to talk to anyone that wants to talk about it and have discussions because that's how you know we get somewhere in this space you have discussions um, all right guys Thank you and see you next time.